Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Jessica Kelly, one of the leaders of Cat Trap Fever, a nonprofit organization based in Pinellas County. Beyond bearing a sublimely droll name, Cat Trap Fever has helped countless feral or community cats by way of extensive efforts of TNVR, that is Trap, Neuter, Vaccinate, Return. Last year, they took 1,817 cats in for spay neuter. That reflects Cat Trap Fever's huge ongoing commitment, a commitment that helps control the colossal cat population. But those who engage in TNVR can also experience criticism and controversy. We'll likely discuss that too, probably touching on a giant relevant piece in a recent edition of The New Yorker written by novelist Jonathan Franzen. We'll also likely explore Cat Trap Fever's history and mission and their day-to-day efforts in caring for the cats, among other topics. We'll cover that and more. When I speak with Jessica Kelly in just a moment here on Talking Animals on WMNF. A programming note at the moment, though. On next week's show, my guest will be Dr. Daniel Promislau, a biogerontologist at the University of Washington and co-director of the Dog Aging Project, a long-term study examining the health and longevity of dogs. The scope of the project is enormous. Since it was launched in late 2019, some 47,000 dogs have been enrolled, and their researchers are actively welcoming additional canines, including maybe your dog. But the project also may be approaching a pivotal moment in that the grant money funding this research is likely to end in June. So Promise Law and his colleagues have created a nonprofit, the Dog Aging Institute, as a means to generate funds to continue their research. We'll discuss that more next week on Talking Animals here on WNF. I'll invite you to join me for that. Meanwhile, on coming up later on today's program, I'll speak with Annalisa Burns, a search dog handler and licensed private investigator who's overseeing pet search and rescue conferences across the country, including one this weekend in Tampa. Registration for that con- conference is now closed, but among the topics we'll cover is with Annalisa is additional opportunities locally and elsewhere for folks who think they might like to pursue a career or maybe a new hobby as a pet detective. We'll hear more about these opportunities with Annalise Burns joining us in a little bit later in today's show. Right now, though, let's talk cats, mainly feral or community cats with Jessica Kelly of Cat Trap Fever. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. Let's welcome Jessica Kelly Talking Animals. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning, Duncan. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals. Oh, and thank you for having me. For sure. So, of course, you know, we'll explore cats, cat trap fever, TNVR, and more. But uh, we'll get into all that in a moment. But over the years, I've learned that super intrepid TNVR types like yourself are often distinctive folks otherwise with intriguing elements to their background. So tell me a little bit about yourself before you got into working with cats. Um, I actually have quite a a hodgepodge of a background. I was a waitress as a young teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, I traveled with the carnival for a couple years. Um, What did you do do there? That's too interesting to (laughs) let go right by. Well, actually, we sold turkey legs and barbecue uh, with my husband's family, who are fifth-generation showmen. Wow. Cool. Lots of traveling and lots of stinky Grease virus. <laughs> okay. All right. What else? What else is part of that hodgepodge? Um, I was a ballet dancer and then instructor. 
here in, in Largo. Yeah, that I have to say I, I saw that somewhere and that kind of jumped out at me just because <laughs> that's, uh, I think it's safe to say that's unusual as cat trappers go. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And did you once kind of harbor dreams of a dance career with a major ballet company or? Uh, I did actually. And, and, you know, my body image and a few minor injuries just brought me to the bottom and, and I realized that it just wasn't for me and I'd rather encourage other, other humans to love themselves no matter what they do. So that's when you shifted over to an instructor as opposed to practitioner? Correct. Um, and then from there, I recognized that, that by time, the community cat population needed me. So I actually resigned from my position as an instructor to, to trap more full time. So tell me how that first began. So sounds like these kind of overlapped a little bit, but, but when did you Thank actually you. first start working with cats? Um, I've actually had a long history. Uh, one of my neighborhood cat ladies, so to speak, um, and gave me so much love for cats and the importance of spay and neuter. Um, she actually dedicated her entire backyard to cats who couldn't go back to where they were from. So she had, you know, 15 to 17 cats in her, in her backyard that were all fixed, that were all vaccinated, that were all on sleep prevention. And it could have been just so much worse if they weren't fixed. Um, and from there, she taught me how to nurture um, I have extensive experience with little teeny tiny bottle babies, um, which I, I think are completely avoidable because we can keep them with the mommies. Um, but that love from a young age, not knowing anything about the shelter system, um, about rescues, about trapping just this one woman and her strong beliefs and love and compassion for spayed and neutered animals kind of were my, were my foundation for, yeah. for working so with cats. <laughs> so uh, she obviously was a great influence. So when you kind of saw that, it sounds like, like you said, initially you didn't have any real context for anything else. You just knew the lady next door or down the street or wherever yeah. this was, like was doing this cool thing with cats that, that really, I guess, struck a chord. Oh, absolutely. And she told me how important it was to fix them. Otherwise she'd have too many to, to help. And that I was probably eight or nine years old when they, truly resonated in my brain and, and absorbed that concept. So did you start helping her at the, as young as that? Or when did this first Absolutely. kick in for you directly? Professional cat scooper. Um, but it wasn't until after my, my waitressing days and bartending and ballet and carnival experience that I circle back. Um, was, it was 2020. It was actually during COVID that I started fostering for a rescue quickly recognized just fostering was, it wasn't enough. I wanted to know where these little kitties came from. It's great that they're going to find homes, but nobody dropped them off at the doorstep. They didn't fall from the sky. The storks didn't bring them in a, in a bag. They, they were birthed out in our community yeah. and everyone's so familiar with kitten lady, um, a huge icon and her belief for TMDR I started looking into how to get more heavily involved in that here in my local community. And that's where I found my partner, Susan Roundtree, who had been practicing at that point TMVR before it was a highly recognized concept here in Pinellas. Before it was an acronym even, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe not before an acronym, but <laughs> definitely before, you know, there was the county's program yeah. um, and another organization. She was just like a one-woman trap wagon. Uh, and I just, I just knew, I was like, I can help her and we can make a difference 
together and she doesn't have to bear that burden alone. So did cat trap fever uh, exist before you guys joined forces or was that sort of that it name did. was born when you guys did connect? No, she she gave that name and actually bought like the URL, the website for it um, 15, 16 years ago, 17 maybe now. Wow. Um, but we didn't officially become 501c3 nonprofit until we until we joined forces and established a board and said, you know what, we can do more than just a few here and there. I mean, Sue was probably doing a thousand cats a year, 1200 cats a year before I even joined forces, which is wow. incredible. No kidding. So here, here's one question that you just kind of said as something in passing, but it just struck me is that she bought the URL sounds like many, many years ago, but unless I've been looking <laughs> in the wrong place, I, I see you have a huge Facebook and Instagram presence, but I don't, I, I couldn't find the actual, <laughs> Uh, website for you guys just because not surprising there are other other organizations across the country with similar or, or identical yes. names there's another cat trap fever out of michigan and and we've had a couple of instances where we've confused um you know donations but luckily sue has a great relationship with the the president up there and they go hey this one's for you and we'll do the same and and switch it over with each other um we do own the I think it's catrapfever.com but we haven't done anything with it. Oh okay. Um, our philosophy on things like a website and you know big fundraiser events is we're never going to put those actions before the care and the work that we have to put towards the animals. Yeah. Cuz we're just a small nonprofit and we try and do big things and I think we achieve those big things um as it stands my goal this month is to create our logo. Like we don't even have a logo, um, but our our mission is completed on a day to day basis, and the cat's care will always come first. And if we can help five cats today instead of finish that logo, that's what I'm going to do today. <laughs> yeah. So the the to do list is kind of a, a sliding, just because it's like cats yeah. first. So the item number three Correct. is going to have to go till tomorrow or Friday or whenever, because we exactly. got we got cats to take care of. Yeah. You know, there's the expression, um, crap happens, but the profound word, and we always just replace that first word with cat. And we're like, well, we were going to write that grant or fill out that application, but cat happens. Yeah. And is it really just you and Sue even now? We've got another three, maybe four folks who do trap um, and work efficiently and kind of, you know, hold that same high standard to 100% cat captured. When you start, you got to finish. Um, and those are some close friends who, who've started to trap with us and, and, you know, help kittens or find a problem area that there's really no other answers for. Um, so we're kind of expanding, but we're expanding slowly. Um, we don't have a facility. So we work out of a garage, a caddy shack, and three spare bedrooms um, between myself and Sue's home. We also have a little over a dozen foster parents. You know, when we're out there in the field and we're trapping and we see four to five week old kittens. Yeah. Well, they're not big enough to be trapped near to return, but they are young enough to be socialized and homes found for them instead. So we, we have to jump at that opportunity when it presents itself and, and figure it out. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of kind of uh, 
on the fly determining kind of what has to happen next based on what what kind of cats you encounter. So let me uh, let folks know uh, who might just be tuning in. This is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you did just tune in, my guest is Jessica Kelly, one of the leaders of Cat Trap Fever, a nonprofit uh, based in Pinellas County. They work tirelessly at TNVR, trap, neuter, vaccinate, return. Last year, bringing in more than 1,800 cats for spay and neuter. So we have a question for Jessica about feral cats or trapping or anything we've touched on already, and we'll touch on obviously a lot more. Or just would like to offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663. Email DJ at WNF.org or text 813-433-0885. So it sounds like, again, there's a lot of kind of improvising when you go out. So what I was thinking might be good is if you could just... Um, to f- kind of figure out how this actually works, and I know it varies a lot for just all kinds of factors. But let's say that tomorrow is a typical day for cat trap fever. Can you walk me through it? First, is there a primary colony where you focus your time, or is there, uh, does that vary from day to day as well? It does vary from day to day. We try and be ultra-efficient. So if I'm trapping in northeast St. Petersburg and there's 8 to 10 cats, I'll also check my maps and my book to see if there's another call for maybe one to two cats in that area. That way, if I'm driving to that zip code, I'm not just driving right past somebody who also needs help, but they don't have a lot of cats. So I try and kind of combinate like two of the different spots together if I'm driving there. Um, A lot of what we do is entirely dependent on what time the cats are accustomed to eating. So, uh, you know, I, I get somebody's name and their phone number and their address, and we don't just set traps and come back the next day. I ask that caregiver, what time do you feed them breakfast? And it could be 7, it could be 8, it could be 9, it could be 10, and then what time do you feed them dinner? I would ask that caregiver not to feed them on a Monday because I'm going to trap them on a Tuesday. So mm-hmm. on that Tuesday at 9.30 and 7.30, I would go and I would set traps maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I'm going to catch who I'm going to catch, and I'll bring them back to the garage and set them up with a clean liner, um, food and water. We also use, uh, like, immune supplements in their food. You know, most What kind of supplements? Have. Sorry, I missed that. What kind of supplements? Immune supplements. Okay, so that's what I like thought you hygiene. said. Yeah. Okay. But most of these cats will only go to the vet one time in their life, Due to finances, due to their temperament, due to, you know, limited resources for the stray cat population. Yeah. So we really try and give them the best opportunity at as much care as possible while we have them for that few days before we recover and cut them loose. Yeah. So- and then if we don't trap all of those cats with that caregiver, we will go back at the next feeding time, set up for an hour. And then we've also got, like, extra little tips and tricks and types of traps. Maybe the cats are too shy to go in this kind of trap. That might just mean they need more food withheld for a longer time. Or we might bust out a different kind of trap, like a large drop trap. Or we've got these new robot traps that you use with a key fob. It's it's like going fishing. Wow. I always I try and encourage more and more men to start trapping because it's like a good weekend of fishing. If you go out and you get eight and then the next day you get four and you end up with all 15 cats that somebody feeds, you've stopped their entire cycle in a matter of two days. No, that's that's huge and that's so important. And I'm thinking before we get too much further, 
uh, not even counting the robot trap, which I, I'm not familiar <laughs> with myself. But can you just describe when, when you say trapping and trapping, just for people who might be listening and think, Jesus, this sounds kind of uh, harsh or tough or whatever, not understanding kind of, you know, the humane trap. What a trap is, yeah. yeah. So the humane trap, um, we like to use the gravity trap. We've also seen people use the spring-loaded traps, which aren't our favorite because they are a little louder. Um, but essentially, it's a long hallway. Um, it's got food on one end and an open door on the other. And the cat will walk until they step onto a small plate towards the back of it. And then the door just closes behind them. Immediately, the, the trap is covered, so the cat isn't panicked. And a lot of our cats don't even recognize the doors closed behind them until they see us come up. And then they're a little a little frightened, but covering them really calms them down. Um, we We practice safe and humane trapping. So nobody's getting their legs broken. Nobody's getting grabbed at. And, you know, it's not like dog catchers you see in the old movies. They're running around with a net. Yeah. We're just placing the traps and letting the cats walk right in. So once once we've got our, our cats or our cats in, and again, so it's all, it sounds like if I follow you from before, it's all based on uh, feeding time, and that might vary based on the the people that have the been feeding these cats. Schedule. Yeah. yeah. So, so how do you, how do you get that information, or how do they get that information to you to to know to contact you about? Okay, yeah, your cats are up next on Wednesday or whatever. So we need to get in touch with you about uh, feeding times, etc. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of the calls just keep pouring in from from simply word of mouth. Yeah. Um, we're still in a very proactive state, so people are asking us for help. We're not going out and finding it, yeah. although it is very easy to find more cats who need help. I'm sure. <laughs> so we stay very busy. Um, I always say a three-minute phone call goes so much further than 15 text messages over a week. I'm not a big texter. My partner is not a big texter. You know, we've got a series of questions that we ask and make a little note. Um, we're very analog. Um, me, I'm, I'm 32 years old, and I'm... I'm the most analog millennial you'll ever meet because I like to write things down. I'm trying not to stare at my phone all day. You know, what time do you eat? Are there any kittens? Are there any injuries? Is there anybody who's already ear-tipped? How many are there? Um, Because another challenge we run into is is filling the appointment based on the folks who need help. And we we take cats to the vet every day, but we want to make sure we get as close to the number that we have appointments for, it's a, quite a juggling act. Yeah. But we, we do make it happen. Our little expression is just trap the cat. Right. We're just going to trap it. We'll figure out everything else, but the first step and the most challenging is trapping the cat. So if I, if to, to quickly review, I say cats happen is a key element, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then just, just trap the just cat. trap right. the cat. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like it's... Uh, it's a great way to kind of simplify what could otherwise be a super complicated uh, process, which, again, it's not to say that it's simple at all. In yeah, fact, we've so- just got, this is what we do. You know, we don't expect everyone to understand every element of TNVR, but it's very easy to understand the element of one mission, right. their yard or their grocery store where they started feeding a cat. You know, it's, it's helping them. Yeah. So, okay, so do you have, 
like multiple vets that uh, that you work with, or how does that work? So let's say we've got the, we've got X amount of cats that you trapped because of the, you found out what the meal times were, and you got them in there after maybe a couple of tries, whatever. In some cases, so now you've got let's say six cats total. Um, how does it work from there in, in terms of going to the vet, and what kind of arrangements have you made with the vet that uh, enables you to take them there and not cost a fortune each time? Exactly. We've got quite a few partnerships where we've got um, long-term relationships with the veterinary clinics, with the doctors, um, with the board of different nonprofit clinics. Um, and we use five different vets. And sometimes we go to the vet five and six days a week. Um, and those, those partnerships have grandfathered in such a, a lovely discount for us because it's not like I'm bringing my cat Fluffy to the vet for his vaccines and his neuter, <laughs> I'm bringing a stray cat that somebody fed and we're, we're bringing a lot of them. Yeah. And the promise is that discounted work that those clinics are doing have long lasting efforts on the population, which they do. Um, and then Sue usually does all of the morning drop off. She's a morning gal. Um, and then she works full time. So not even with community cat trapping and transporting and coordinating. She has a full-time job outside of cat trapping. Wow. And, and I, was, I will try and do as many pickups as I can in the afternoons and evenings. Yeah, I was going to ask at one point, like how many days a week do you guys trap and or do other parts of cat trap fever and how many hours on a given day does that constitute? Um, four to five hours physically trapping and transporting. Um, another one to two hours changing liners and feeding and watering. Um, a lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages with our foster parents. I would say that I put in 50 to 60 hours a week into oh cat trap God. fever. Wow. And we are unpaid. We are entirely volunteer based with a prayer that in, you know, three to five years, I might warrant a paycheck because I think I work really hard. Yeah, it sounds like you guys both work really, really hard at different parts of the day. But um, but it sounds like you've gotten some friends that are helping at least lighten the load a little bit. And um, Absolutely. And, and we're just so grateful because it's one less spot we have to drive to because we can't be everywhere. Right. And since you did get your 501c3 status, I guess people listening, uh, if they said, wow, these, these, these women are working super hard and helping a ton of cats, um, I'd like to donate somehow. So since the website, as we noted, is not up and running, can they do that through either your Facebook or Instagram, or what's the best way for someone to yes. say, hey, I'd like to send um, you guys a few bucks? We have our Facebook page, which is open for donations. We also have a link tree to PayPal and Venmo. And okay. then anybody who'd like to send a check, we are um, more than happy to deposit checks into our bank account. Great. Cash is always fun, but then you'd have to give me a high five. You'd have to meet me in person. Yeah. Not the worst thing. Um, but our Facebook page will have uh, information on all of that. Okay, cool. So, uh, And we have a website. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds like that's that's on the to-do list. It's it's working its way up towards the top of the list, perhaps. But uh, Absolutely. Sounds like it's not quite there yet. So uh, we got a caller that we're going to include in a sec. I want to also read it. At least one of the emails that have come in, a few have come in. Um, this one says, I'd like to thank Jessica and Cat Trap Heaver for helping me out a couple of times on the Pinella side. I volunteer with St. Francis Cat Rescue in Tampa, 
and trap, spay, neuter, rehab in my garage, too, and foster and socialize. Jessica will agree with me when I say we don't have enough fosters for socializing and adopting cats and kittens. We also need more help from the county to help stop the over, overpopulation of cats in our in our counties. So, Was that last one from somebody in Pinellas County? Uh, you know, it came in via text, and they didn't they didn't sign it. So um, okay, I just know that it. Well, I if I can take this opportunity to shout out to our county, Pinellas County, um, and their philosophy on community cats has been a game changer the last three or four years. I'm not good with dates, um, but instead of euthanizing cats who are dropped off who are not friendly, they transfer them to a county program, to one of their shelter partners, fix them, log that address, and then volunteers drop them back off in their community. Ten years ago, if somebody brought a feral cat to the shelter and said, I just don't like it, they would they would be forced to euthanize it. So those programs that they've put in place for stray cats who aren't adoption-worthy, they don't have to die, and their health improves, and they're not going to make more babies. Um, but they've they've done a really beautiful job at mainstreaming what used to happen to cats. That sounds great. That that sounds like it represents tremendous progress. Enormous, because it's it's the ordinances. You're allowed to feed them as long as they're fixed, but you can't leave food out all day. That's yeah. the long and short of it. Well, here's an email I, that kind of overlaps maybe that, and also overlaps something that we traded some some email about in terms of some important points. So this one says, I'm a trapper with feline friends of SWFL in Sarasota. I find the biggest problem is the people who just can't withhold food and don't get the traps only work on hungry cats. Frustrating trying to trap for hours only to see a half-eaten bowl of food. Thanks for all you do, Justin. One of my favorite things to do for people who don't want to withhold their food is to bring out the drop trap. You can have that caregiver put as much food as they want under that drop trap. Um, And if it's a safe area where nobody's going to steal or damage your equipment, you can even prop that drop trap up on something more permanent and train all of the cats to eat under that drop trap. And then when it's your your time, you got to get them. It's much easier to be successful in pulling that string. Yeah. Um, But I think also run into the same thing. Yeah. People don't want to see their cats hungry, but it's a, a short-term sacrifice for a long-term benefit. Yeah. And then another thing, if you've got cats with a full belly, they're going to throw up in your car. So we don't want them to feel sick on their first car ride ever. And that sometimes helps me with caregivers who don't want their cats to be hungry. Yeah. Because it is frustrating, but I understand where they're coming from as well. Right. So I guess the uh, kind of step removed from that is is the folks who are, again, well-intentioned, who feed these cats, but aren't uh, sort of steeped in, in how the, the whole process could or should work. So they don't even think in terms of TNVR. They just sort of say, hey, these cats are hungry. Here's some bowls for them. It's a nice thing to do, which it is, but it obviously only gets you partway there. And kind of the pivotal part of the operation is kind of left out that way. Most certainly, and not everybody has the time or capacity to spend hours waiting out cats who are very likely not going to go into the trap. The trap is something that, you know, doesn't exist in their yard, so they see it as a foreign object. It's just not in their nature. So you mentioned, um, Jessica, that you, you guys don't have an actual 
facilities, so you're kind of improvising with uh, bedrooms and uh, garages and whatever. So is that is that where the cats go, sort of before and after they're they're at the vet, and and in the hopes of finding some place that will um, f- at least foster, if not adopt them. That, in other words, is yes. it kind of like a holding so station of, in a sense, or yeah, most of the cats are bound for TMDR, so they're only with us for three, maybe four days. Um, pre- and post-op, in which they do recover in the humane trap. We pride ourselves in changing out liners. They're not very apt to use a litter box, even if we did want to set up 50 dog crates with litter boxes and bowls. Um, we find that more change is more panic. Mm-hmm. You put them in a bigger space, they're more likely to rip off their toenails or get a nosebleed. and It's, it's going to elevate their heart rate and ultimately make them way more stressed out for their short stay with us. Um, To keep them calm, quiet, and covered, on the recovery side, it gives that anesthesia time to go out of their system, and it gives their incision time to heal. They just need a day. The surgeons who who do these TNVR surgeries are like artists. (laughs) They've got such a fine-tuned hand and the littlest incisions you could imagine. Um, great closure work. We've had next to no complications with any incisions. I mean, unless there's some sort of underlying, you know, bleeding disorder or immune compromise within the cat. So we, we're very, very thankful to our surgeons for doing such a good job because then we can get those cats awake, recovered, and back to their clouder within 24, 48 hours top. So here's, here's a, a kind of, I guess, just a little bit broader question just because well, you've only been doing it, and not only, I don't mean only, other than just it seemed like I, I would have guessed if we'd started talking, you would have been years. doing it yeah. longer ago than 2020. But um, it just seems like the pace is super relentless and the demands are uh, unyielding. So um, I guess sort of two-pronged question is, like, what's driving you and Sue, and do you, to what extent do you worry about burnout? I mean, I worry about burnout every day. I yeah. like to think uh, recognizing is the first step to coping with burnout and compassion fatigue and empathy strain. Mm-hmm. It's, it is straining on your mental health, your emotional health, your, your physical health. It's physical work. These traps weigh nine pounds. The caps are six to seven to 10 pounds. Um, what keeps us going is the impact, seeing the impact hearing from the caregivers who call us eight, nine months later. Thank you so much. Check this out. I haven't had new kittens. My husband hasn't run over a kitten in over a year. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) oh, we brought Fluffy in because after she was saved, she ended up being so much sweeter, and now she wants to be our house cat. The successes and the impact that we leave is is what keeps us going. And we know how, so there's no reason not to, is kind of our philosophy. Yeah. It's like the mafia. Once you're in, you you can't get out. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you're <laughs> you're, you're a made, made man, I guess, in that sense. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So um, so is there anything that, that you see, like, because you, you mentioned, uh, we already talked about a little bit, that you, you have some friends that have started to help. Um do you see any kind of more formal uh, efforts uh, to help recruit people that can 
that can do sort of what you and Sue do. I mean, these friends, that sound like they're doing at least some of that. But it just sounds like you could use more hands, more bodies, more help. Absolutely. I I like a, I have this dream, you know, if I had eight to ten more of me or Sue, that we wouldn't have any, any stray cats. Yeah. Um, in, in a two to three year window, um, you know, stability through sterility, the more cats who are sterilized in a given neighborhood on a given block in a given zip code, the less nuisance calls we're going to get, which is going to make everybody's phone stop ringing less. For sure. Yeah. So it sounds like that's, that's on the horizon, but, um, meanwhile you you got cats to take care of. Absolutely. So, and I mean, the, the trappers who have started in the last few years and and really taken to it and understand how important it is, and they're still very driven to get each and every cat of a colony. Are we are just so grateful? Yeah, because that makes all the difference. The more hands we have to this task, the more cats who will be sterilized before we can get to them. Um, the gestation period for a pregnant cat is just 63 days. And cats can have three litters a year, two, even if they just had one a year. It just, it duplicates the, the clouder very quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, and are there organizations that, like a rescues and other organizations that will step up and help you guys with cats that, uh, if fitting one description or another, need Fostering yeah. at least temporarily, uh, <laughs> adopting obviously, ideally. Yeah, so that. Cat Trap Fever doesn't do any adoptions as an organization ourselves. Yeah. On occasion, one of our foster parents will have a friend who fell in love with the kitties, and then that, you know, we're confident in that, in that close, intimate friendship. You know, our high standards are, you know, you own your own home, you're financially stable, you're not going to start dating somebody who's allergic. <laughs> Um, you would keep the kitties no matter how many kids you had, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but we only do maybe 12, 15 adoptions ourselves per year. And then I have a pretty a pretty strong rule on no pretty kitties. Everyone wants the Siamese. Everyone wants a little fluffy thing. Um, any adoptable kittens or cats, we get them up to, up to snuff. We make sure they're healthy and happy and sweet. And then we simply surrender them to rescue partners or shelter partners whose primary focus is finding a home for cats because that's not our primary focus. We've got boots on the ground and our work well cut out for us. There are fewer trappers and there are adoption stores. So we really rely on those partnerships with, with other rescues to ensure the kitties that we're taking from the street, you know, we make that choice to remove them, but we want to make sure they find really good homes and, we partner with ones we're confident we'll do just that. And also, they must really appreciate that those cats come already spayed or neutered right off the bat. So yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if they're rest. underage, we do transfer them out intact, but only to reputable rescues who will spay and neuter before they find homes. But if yeah. they're big enough, we're probably going to get them fixed because we just we just keep spaying and neutering. So I'm going to take a call here. Uh, this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Jessica Kelly, one of the leaders of Cat Trap Fever, a local organization devoted to TNVR, Trap, Neuter, Vaccinate, Return. We invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. 
So let's get another person involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Jessica Kelly. Yes, hi. Can you hear me, Duncan? Yes, I can. Please go ahead. Okay, this, this is Marilyn Weaver, and I have a few questions. Uh, so <laughs> let me just tell you what they are. Um, <laughs> I know people search you out by word of mouth, but other than that, how do you find out where the cats are? That's one thing. What radius do you trap in? Like, how far do you go? Is it just St. Pete? The other question, can they be spay-neutered on a full stomach? Uh, there will be no um, medical problem with that. And also, how do you pay for the spay-neuter? Where do you get the money? So, Marilyn, maybe before uh, Jessica answers, just because I, I, of course, known you for years, and you've been a great supporter of the show and a great animal advocate for years and years, maybe you could explain a little bit about your background or, or meow now or, or anything to kind of put, place your oh. questions in a context. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> um, I'm a co-founder of Meow Now, and I know Sue Roundtree all these many years. We've been doing the same thing. Um and um, I'm always interested in how people get the job done. I know how we did it, um, and I know how important it is and how how much work is involved. So you really have to be dedicated. You really have to care about what you do. Uh, but it's so well worth it because after you've done the trapping and got the cat uh, back at its outdoor home, you feel so good. So good. So it's working for the cats and it's working for the person that does the work. That's working for the caregiver. That's one of the most incredible. Hi, Marilyn. I've heard good things about you. I'll shake your hand eventually. <laughs> one of the questions yeah. that stood out in my head was the, the full stomach. It's, it's really based on your provider. Um, some of our surgeons tell us to feed kittens who are under six months because that you know, drop in blood sugar or calorie intake, um, they'd rather have them full. And really it's just it's just to reduce the risk of aspiration. So we don't want them to choke on anything if they end up vomiting, which doesn't, you know, not every cat gets nauseous with the medications provided. So uh -huh. it's, it's really on a, mm. <laughs> on a cat by cat and surgeon by surgeon basis. All right. So it's more or less better if you can withhold the food the day before uh, and get the cat in the trap. Mm -hmm. Yep. But also, you know, we feed them when we get them back, and we just pull food the night before. That's kind of right. our philosophy. As long as they've been without food for, you know, six to eight hours, that's plenty to, to digest everything. Right. And what radius do you uh, cover? How far do you go to trap cats? It's really, it's really situational dependent. I like to stay close to home, of course, because I can more effectively revisit that location time after time after time. Um, um, and if it's in Old Northeast, I would call somebody who lives closer to Old Northeast because they can more efficiently visit time after time after time. Um, if it's going to take me 25, 30 minutes to get to the trapping, that's taking more time out of my day. You know, this is not my full-time paid job, so I still have kids to pick up from school and make sure everybody gets to bed on time. Um, but if they've got 19 cats that they're feeding outside, I am going to drive 25 minutes to help them. <laughs> All right. So in essence, you have two jobs as well as two round trees. 
because yeah, I consider yeah. taking care of children a job. Oh, it's more than a job. <laughs> yes. And so um, I know a word of mouth keeps you busy, but other than that, how do people find you if they don't know someone? Uh, a lot of people will post on the Nextdoor app um, or Facebook, or they'll run into somebody at Walmart in the cat food aisle, and they'll go, you got to call this lady. She'll help you. Ah. So, <laughs> um, And then anybody who will put up my number anywhere, you're welcome to spread that information, um, businesses, laundromats. Um, but word of mouth truly is I'm working on a 2025 cat spot right now from somebody who's helping an older gentleman and she was previously helping a different older woman and before that a different older gentleman and each person she's gone to help is feeding 15 plus cats and mm-hmm. she's called me every time. <laughs> I said, wow, well, you, keep, you really keep on need finding volunteers. Them. Right. So Marilyn, forgive me, but we probably do need to move on. We're just about out of time for, or for the whole What's interview the and I have a couple more questions. How do you pay to- for this? Fundraising um, and what isn't covered there, out of pocket. Because uh, I've made donations to Sue, but I'm hoping and we that appreciate more it, do. Marilyn. I would say keep them coming. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'll put the word out. Definitely. Well, you're welcome to give us a shout. You take it easy, Marilyn. Thanks, Marilyn. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so Thanks much for, for what you do, Jessica. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 So. Um, sort of in the last minute or two here, uh, Jessica, but, uh, you know, I've done numerous shows about feral cats and early on it was just TNR and then it became TNVR. That's how long ago that I started doing these kind of shows. But typically we hear from some folks on these kind of shows who are concerned about feral cats impact on birds and other wildlife. Um, what's your view on those kind of concerns that get raised? That is, it's a concern that I have myself. We all want the same thing, and that's less homeless cats. Yeah. I'm not willing to trap and kill animals. Um, and I've found that cats who are intact have more of that predatory nature to them, whereas your cats who are fixed, you know, spayed and neutered and routinely fed and not starving are less likely to chase down a bird. I can't imagine that the cats are doing more damage than humankind. Just put that out there in a very broad spectrum. Um, I don't believe that cats who've already been through TNVR are an issue to the birds. Yeah. And on a related note, just because I mentioned in the opening, so I guess I should come back to it at least briefly because we are just about totally out of time. So... I did mention the recent New Yorker piece by uh, Jonathan Franzen, the, the novelist Jonathan Franzen. Um, and the piece, it's like New Yorker length, so it's thousands and thousands and thousands of words, of course. And it has a Los Angeles focus, but it raises some questions about the efficacy of TNVR, and it raises some larger questions about no-kill and whether that really works. So any just sort of, at this point, since we don't have time to really get into it in depth, anything you just said by way of... Yeah. I did read the article, and it was it was heartbreaking to say the least. Because somebody who doesn't know both sides of any story yeah. is going to read that, and they're automatically not a believer. Um, and then I noticed they used the word, you know, it's not making a dent. And 
I beg to differ because every little impact we make, we're starting to see those overlap. You know, I'll be trapping at, at Kathy's house and I end up accidentally trapping a cat who I fixed at Rob's house two days ago in my trap. So I'm seeing all of that overlap. Every little impact is going to come together and make that dent. Okay, well, I think fair enough. We just might leave it there. People who haven't read it yet may be interested in finding it. They can find it online. You don't have to have a subscription to the New Yorker to uh, to read it, but uh, it might be of interest if you're interested in this topic at all. So I think that does put us at the end of our time, Jessica. So we've been speaking with Jessica Kelly, again, of Cat Scratch Fever. And, uh, again, you can find them currently uh, searching on Facebook, Instagram, uh, eventually when it uh, gets it higher up on the to-do list, there'll be a, a website, cattrapfever.com. And um, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us and all your great work on, on behalf of all these cats that uh, really benefited so much from the work that you and Sue have done over these just uh, three or four years already. Thank you so much, Duncan, for having us on air. For sure. Thank you. Bye. In a moment, I'll talk with Annalisa Burns, who, in addition to working as a search dog handler and licensed private investigator, serves as an instructor at conferences and other settings for people who might like to train their dog to become a search dog, pursue a path towards becoming a pet detective, either professionally or as a volunteer pursuit related to animal rescue. I'll have that conversation in just a moment here on Talking Animals. Right now, that we're going to step into the comedy corner with Kyle Kinane delivering a uh, feline-oriented piece I'm calling Cat Sneeze. Today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Like, this is where I'm at socially. If to explain where I'm at on the social spectrum, I recently said God bless you to a cat. Like, I, I was alone in a room with a cat for a while. Like, not even just a brief moment, like an incident. Like, this was a whole afternoon. Not my room, not my cat. But I was fine with this arrangement. Like, this is what I can handle. Me and somebody else's cat, both of us just staring at walls, looking for answers. And the cat sneezed, and then it was quiet. And that's what made it worse. Because if it would have just sneezed, it would be like, oh, God bless you. And then, well, you don't need that. You're a cat. We would have laughed. It would have been fine. But instead, there was a sneeze, and then it was just that moment of just me sitting like, how do I play this right now? Do I say something? I was raised right. I have loving porno shopping parents <laughs> that instilled values in me. It's like, yeah, but it's a cat. <laughs> F it, I'm going for it. <laughs> so I turn to it. It's like, God bless you, cat. I didn't even know its name. I was just opening up for once. It's like, God bless you, cat. And the cat turned and looked at me, because that's what cats do. They look at the origin of sound. <laughs> but they have very judgmental faces. <clears throat> so everything in that cat's expression was just like, why would you say that? <laughs>
That was Kyle Kinane in today's Comedy Corner, the piece I'm calling Cat's Knees, taken from his Comedy Central special. Now it's time to speak with Annalisa Burns, search dog handler, licensed private investigator, also an instructor at conferences and privately for those who'd like to pursue a similar path. Perhaps you can a life pet detective, etc. This is Annalisa Burns here on Talking Animals on WNR. Good morning, Annalisa. Good morning. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. So... How did you become a search dog handler and private eye? What prompted you to pursue uh, that particular line of work? About 18 years ago, I adopted a puppy from San Diego Humane Society in California, and she was a German short hair pointer and needed a job. And I started looking at different things I could do with her because she's a working breed, a German short hair pointer for hunting. And I found Cat Albrecht of Missing Animal Response Network, and I took her training in Fresno, California, and that was 18 years ago, and I'm still going strong. Wow, that's great. So how easy or difficult is it for someone to have their dog trained to become a search dog? There must be obviously certain criteria. Are there particular breeds that are better suited for this kind of work? It all depends on what the pet owner, what their goals are. We encourage everyone to consider scent training for their dog. It's very enriching. It's lots of fun. And you can help your neighbor find their lost kitty cat. But for somebody to consider it as a profession or a career, they really do want to have some other criteria. And in many states, you do have to be a licensed private investigator to search for a lost pet. So many working breeds do make excellent professional search dogs. We currently have a hound dog, two bloodhounds, and a healer mix on our search team. So that's interesting. If I follow you, um, it's kind of almost the other way around the way I or maybe others would suspect. You actually have to be a licensed private eye to use a dog, at least professionally, in searching for an animal. I mean, I guess it could be different if it's just like a neighbor down the street. But if professionally, it sounds like you couldn't really do that with a dog, no matter what their training was, unless you're already a, a private investigator who's licensed right. to do that work. And that's by state. Different states have different regulations. But in the yeah. state of Florida, you do need to be a licensed private investigator. That's interesting. Yeah. So... um and what, 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 what kind of searches uh, come up most often, like searching obviously for a missing person, I'm guessing, uh, maybe a missing animal as well, but what, what, what are the kinds of things that come up most often in this kind of work? We search exclusively for lost pets, okay. and our search dogs are trained to be scent-specific, so they can search really for almost any different species of animal. I search for snakes, for tortoises, turtles. But most of our cases are for lost dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of just another level of uh, sort of animal rescue in a sense that uh, they're just saying, well, hey, uh, this turtle or this dog or whatever is missing, and we're, our, our job uh, at the moment is to try to locate by scent that animal and bring it back home. Exactly. That's 100% what we focus on. Yeah. So where where would someone, uh, I, I know this weekend's conference uh, registration is closed because there's some preparations that are required before the the uh, conference itself. So uh, I know there's probably another one coming and there's some others in other parts of the country. So 
where would people contact you online to either get individual, I guess, one-on-one instruction if they wanted to go that route or to try to find out more about some other conferences that are coming up and that might, they might be a convenient part of the country for them or when it comes back towards Tampa? Absolutely, yes. I do offer one-on-one training in person in the Tampa Bay area, and I encourage people who have dogs who would enjoy doing it for enrichment to consider it because it's a lot of fun. It's a great game that the dogs can learn, and you can help your neighbor find their lost kitty cat that wandered off. So that's a big bonus. And to reach out to me for that, they can go online to my website, which is Pet Search and rescue.com again that's pet search and rescue.com and we do have two conferences coming up in 2024 we have one in april in los angeles california and and one in upstate new york in july of 2024 and we will be coming back to tampa bay again and having more conferences here so that information is listed on my website also that's great and so for pet search and rescue.com is the and and or is it an ampersand it's an and spelled okay. out thanks for great. asking yeah very good okay cool well this all seems really interesting and and again, I, I had Kat on the show many years ago, and I've had some other pet detectives, and it's a fascinating world, and it's, you know, fun for the dog and, and enriching for them, and uh, and obviously a nice way to make a, make a living if you if you can get enough work to do so. So thank you so much for joining us today, Annalisa, and good Thank luck. you so much for having me. For sure. Take care. Thank you. Coming up on WNF, it's Slice of Life, the wonderful new show hosted by Randy Zimmerman and others. After that, we shift back to music program with Jim Bannon holding forth from 1 to 3, followed by Nancy C, 3 to 6, and then our Latin music kicks in. So we'll be back again next Wednesday with the show I mentioned earlier in the week with the guy conducting the huge uh, part of the team, conducting this huge study on long-term aging and, and longevity for dogs and um, how you might get involved with that and uh, and how you might support their efforts since their funding seems to be running out. So, we'll be back next Wednesday at 11 a.m. for that. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wiki, watching me on NPR News Headlines, and then Slice of Life after that.